Welcome to the Rise Up Live Free podcast, where we're going to be giving you the exact blueprint to reach financial freedom in 10 years or less, regardless of your age, your income, or your experience. You see, we believe that 97% of traditional financial advice is dangerous, misleading, or outright wrong. And we're here to empower you on how you can use money and cash flow as a tool to create, build, and live a life you love now rather than having to wait until you're 65. If you're ready to take immediate action, join us over at cashflowtactics.com forward slash podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the Rise Up Live Free podcast. Uh, we have a special recording for you on this week's podcast. So this is a recording uh, that we did last year at the Cashflow Heaven Tour. For those of you who don't know, the Cashflow Heaven Tour is one of the two annual meetings we do at the Cashflow Tactics community, uh, where we kind of reset and talk about what we've learned and plan for the next six months for when we meet again. Now, this is open to all of our masterminds to include the general public. Generally, for new people, what we do is we do a Cashflow Heaven Tour, which is a bus tour that shows shows you what makes a good turnkey property. And then there's going to be a bunch of education the day before about uh, what's going on with the market, how to become financially free in 10 years or less at the current market conditions, what deals to look for. I always come in and show you guys a way to do a passive, a semi-passive um, way to invest. And then day two is always a ton of fun. We go on the Cashflow Heaven Tour uh, we take a look at a house, the way we get it, generally a very smelly house. We go by some of the houses I made big mistakes on. Uh, then we'll go through a house at each phase of a rehab. And finally, you'll see a couple of houses at the finished product. So if you're curious about buying turnkey rentals, it's a great opportunity for you to come and see, actually see uh, what you're buying, whether you're buying for me or another provider. So this is Brad's uh, first hour presentation. Quite frankly, I've been his friend for a long time. I've seen a lot of his work. This was his finest work. Uh, this kind of, he talks about the concept of resulting and, and your mindset when you're investing. So uh, give this a listen. Like I said, this is Brad's probably finest work. And if you're interested in the Cashflow Heaven Tour, uh, be sure to sign up. There'll be a link in the show notes. Talk to you later. All right. So where are my numbers people at? All right. This is the only presentation. They're all leaving. This is the only presentation you need to worry about. Who are not my numbers people? Can you put your heads down and take a nap? That's fine. Like Ryan got Ryan spoke to you guys. Now it's You now guys it's time do not want to miss this presentation. This is going to be good. Come this on. This is the one. Come on back This is in. what you came to the weekend Man, for. Jimmy's putting a lot of pressure on me. What's up, bro? Like if Jimmy doing? says this is going to be the best one, I don't know. I don't know. I'm a little nervous. Okay, for those that like numbers, why do we like numbers? Like why? Yeah, just yell it out. Certainty. Certainty. They don't lie. Unless, unless you make them lie. What, why else do we like numbers? Removes emotion, right? Yes, all these are yes answers. Why else? Different perspective. They're fun. Well, they're fun. I, I agree with all of that. But for me anyway, what got me excited about numbers is that I could make better decisions for all the reasons that you just said, right? Because 
if, if I can just do the math problem right, the math problem tells me what to do, right? Then I don't have to, okay? So numbers are about decision-making, okay? And everybody thinks like I'm, and I, everybody thinks I'm like this numbers math whiz genius. But actually, the skill I've learned to refine is to take a number and use it to make a decision. And that's what makes me look really smart, right? There are people that are way better at math than I am. But who knows of somebody who's really good at math that can't think their way out of a wet paper sack, right? So it's about decision making, okay? And the other reason I like numbers, um, who knows the, I can't remember what profile personality thing it is, but the difference between a quick start and a fact finder, right? Like there are two opposite spectrums of, Shoot, I, now I can't remember, I'm up here in front of you, I can't remember which, which, is it Colby? That's fact finder, that? So, and Colby measures how you process, how you come to a decision. So, at, so it's not like the, the red, yellow, green, white personality type thing or how you interact with others, it's how you use information to make decisions. And one end of the spectrum is a fact finder. So you gather enough facts to then make a decision. The other side is a quick start and they're opposite ends. And a quick start is they use experience to make decisions. Do you see the difference? Like a fact finder is gonna look for data before they take action. A quick start is gonna take action in order to get data. Okay, guess what Jimmy is? Okay, and the extreme end of that spectrum is a 10. It goes zero to 10. Jimmy is an 11, quick start, okay? I'm a nine fact finder. We don't get along very well sometimes, right? Okay, but what's helped me keep up with a quick start like Jimmy is being the, the speed at which I can use data to come to a decision. And that's where frameworks come in, okay? Because if I don't have a framework, then I'm just perpetually gathering data. Who's been there before, right? Just, oh, if I just could do, if I just get a little more data, if I just got a little more data, right? So my strength has become creating a framework where I can gather the least amount of decision or data possible to come to my decision, okay? And we really only need a couple pieces of information. So that's what we're gonna be talking about today. But before I go there, just in case you've ever wondered, okay, Brad does have a heart. It's just buried really deep in there. Okay, but I actually really like this quote. It says, reason is and ought only to be the slave of the passions. How many of my numbers people does that make uncomfortable? Right? Okay? And can never pretend to any other office than to serve and obey them. Okay? Our passions are what lead. So what good's data then? If we're supposed to take our emotion out of it, right? If we're trapped in this box of emotions, right? How do we get out of that? How does this roll? So I want you guys to understand something. There is a difference between passions or feelings, well, or between emotions and feelings and passion, okay? At CFT, this is passion, right? We're passionate about freedom. That's why we talk about that more than anything else, right? That should be what drives us. And all of our intellect and reason serves this, okay? But we do need to get out of the box of emotion, okay? 
So that's what this presentation is going to be, is how do we take data to make better decisions, okay? Now, I want you all to do this with you. You got pen and a paper, get it out, and do this exercise with me, okay? Write down, over the last 12 months, your best decision. What was the best decision you made over the last 12 months? Okay? And while you're doing that, also be thinking about what was your worst decision in the last 12 months? Okay? So as I'm going, write this out. We're going to come back to it. Okay? It might take you a minute. Jared, I only said one worst decision. You can't fill up your notebook with it. Okay? So be writing this down. We're going to come back to it in a few minutes. Okay? We're going to review someone else's worst decision for a second. Who knows who this is? Okay? Now, this is really hard for me because I grew up a Seahawks fan in the 1980s. It was a really lonely time. Okay? And finally, our Seahawks get to the Super Bowl, and we are, I think I've got, uh, yeah. So we are on the one-yard line. There is less than a minute to go in the game, and we're down four points. Who remembers this Super Bowl? Okay, and then this, this is the play call, right? So we see it from this angle. Here's another angle that we see that same play from, okay? And afterwards, this is what shows up in the newspaper, right? Throwing it all at worst play call in Super Bowl history because we're on the one-yard line, it's second down, and we have the best running back in the league, Okay? So was it a good call or a bad call? All right. Okay. So there's a great book that talks about this thought process that gets us trapped. Okay. If this, you guys like this book. It's called Thinking in Bets. And the subtitle is awesome. It's making smarter decisions when you don't have all the facts. Okay. So there are two things that determines how our lives and our investments turn out, okay? And this is what the book talks about. The quality of our decisions and luck. We can't get out from under either of those two. Both of them play a role. So back to Pete Carroll, was it bad decision-making or was it bad luck? Okay, before you answer it, let's go through. Let's, let's kind of put ourselves in Pete's brain it's, you just, it's second down on the one-yard line, down four points. Here's some interesting data that whether he had this or not, we've got to assume a high-level coach knows this intuitively. There were 66 pass attempts that year made from the one-yard line. How many got intercepted? Zero. Interesting. Okay? In the previous 15 seasons of pass attempts made on the one-yard line, less than 2% ended up in interception. So for those of you on the bad call side of things, this is changing your mind about whether this was maybe a bad call, okay? He also had two more plays, third down and fourth down, okay, to where he could have then run the ball and give it, the, so two more attempts to go back and try what everybody thought he should have done on second down, okay? And then also, he had the element of surprise. What did they probably expect him to do on the one-yard line, down four points with the best running back in the league? Okay, okay? And this was his press conference the day after where he said it was the worst result of a call ever. Did he say it was the worst call ever? Okay, the newspapers did. 
Okay, but Pete knows something here. He says, the call would have been a great one if we catch it. It would have been just fine and nobody would have thought twice about it. He would have been, I think it would have been the other side. They would have said, brilliant play call, amazing strategy, right? That's what they would have done, okay? So let's go back to what you guys wrote down. Did you write down your best decision or did you write down your best result? Who wrote down their best result, their best outcome, okay? Instead of a decision, do you see the difference, right? Same with worst decision. Was it just a bad outcome that you got and you wrote that down as, did you confuse decision and outcome? And I know only three of you raised your hand. Everybody wrote down their best outcome and their best decision, okay? You're just not raising your hand, or most of you did, okay? And this is really important, okay? I just said that, right? So was it a bad decision or was it just a bad result? And we do this because bad results hurt, right? When we make a decision that we think is good and then we get a bad result, we feel like this, right? And this is what the book talks about. The whole book is written about this error we make called resulting. And it's confusing, okay, the quality of a decision with the quality of an outcome. They are not the same thing. And if we make them the same thing, we will constantly make bad decisions. Who has ever had a property not turn out the way the pro forma said it was going to turn out and then questioned the decision? Is that, that's an example of resulting, right? We're really bad at separating luck and skill. And we're fundamentally uncomfortable when results are outside of our control. We want to think that there was something we could have done about it, right? Okay. So this idea of resulting is what I spent a few minutes talking about. And there's five biases that come about inside of resulting. What are you giggling at? Oh, yeah. This is, these are the mistakes you guys make, right? We all make these except me. Okay, these five biases, we're going to go through this, okay? I think it's going to help. But remember, keep this in context of the fundamental error of looking at our result and then questioning our decision, okay? So the first one, hindsight bias, okay? Again, this is, this is what the media did, right? Because they could look at the result and then therefore say Pete Carroll made a bad call, right? So what that area looks like is this is the Monday morning quarterback syndrome, right? And if you want to make good decisions, don't be a Monday morning quarterback. Don't confuse a result with a decision and don't second guess the decision-making criteria, right? Anybody that knew what they were talking about with Pete Carroll actually defended the decision and just managed this was a bad outcome, okay? So that one's really quick. Probability bias. This one, and by the way, you guys can slow me down. Challenge me, question me, just, I didn't mention that at the beginning, but as always, that's what we should be doing. Okay, probability bias, okay? I'm gonna ask this question. If I flipped a coin four times, what are the chances that it lands heads all four times? It's not 50%, but it's a lot higher than most people. Most people would say, no, nah, not gonna happen, right? No way. Who would take me a, a bet on that, right? Most people would say, no, the math is just 50% times 50% times 50% times 50% is 6.25%, okay? How many people in this room? 
hundred people, maybe, I don't know how many people in the room, 6% of us raise our hand. One person at every table, raise your hand. It's probably a little more than 6%. But if we all flipped a coin four times, that's how many people would do four heads in a row. It's more than we intuitively think. We are really bad at probabilities. In the moment, we're really bad at it. Who's ever asked himself this question? Well, I got two bad tenants in a row. That should never happen. <laughs> Maybe I have a bad property and I'm going to have bad tenants for the next 30 years. Do you see the probability error we're making here? Just because it happened twice, now we're thinking it's going to always happen. Or it happening to something that shouldn't be happening all the time. If it happens two times in a row, now we're questioning it because of the result. Does that make sense? So we've got to slow ourselves down and not extrapolate those probabilities. So what this looks like is we're mistaking the probability of bad luck. You know, it's a 6% chance that it actually happens with the fact that this is then going to be consistent, right? And then we extrapolate, extrapolate that to a bad investment. Does that make sense to everybody? Is this helping anybody to be like, oh, okay, my brain's not totally broken, okay? All right, another really important one is time frame bias, okay? Again, as we're looking at results and trying to say, how are we doing, time frame is important. Okay, let's consider a poker game, okay? The average poker game takes about two minutes. If you played poker for three hours with your buddies, you'd play about 30 games of poker with breaks and shuffling and all that, about 30 games, okay? That's lots of feedback loops as to how your decision-making is going. And you have a pile of money that is either increasing or decreasing that's also giving you feedback, right? So our feedback loop in a game like poker is very fast, okay? But consider the feedback loop in a piece of rental property. It's financial freedom when? Not two months from now, right? So if we're looking at what our property did for the last two months inside of a 10-year window, we're, we're experiencing time frame bias. And we're looking and saying, but for the last two months, I'm, now I made a bad decision, okay? Does this make sense? So we have to be looking at the decision over a long enough period of time, okay? So that's what this time frame bias inside of resulting looks like, is we're using too small of a time window to determine whether we're winning or losing. Okay, because if you come to me and say, Brad, it's been three months or even a year or even two years and my pro forma isn't doing what I thought it should do, I'd be like, well, okay, it's only the end of the first quarter. Like we can't call the game yet, okay? And this is when I, you know, Jimmy gets his poopy pants, right? When our time frame, like we expected X amount of cash flow in year one and then it didn't happen. And then the cast, who's ever questioned their property after the end of the year? I'm like, wait a minute, this isn't, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. You're all liars. Raise your hands. Okay. All right. Is that helping? Does that make sense? Anybody want to slow me down? Okay. Attribution bias. That's a big word. Let's break it down. Okay. We're too quick. We as humans like to attribute when we win to how awesome we are. And then when we lose, it was someone else's fault, right? Okay, we're really, really quick to do that. So here, right, inside of attribution, we're, we're making a mistake of, again, we're not good at saying I, ha I, I legitimately made a bad decision or I had bad luck, okay? And then the last one, recency bias. What this looks like is we project small probability events to become the normal, okay? So we take the recent past and make that our future,
this is straight line thinking. Does anything in existence move in a straight line? Nothing does. Guys, do you know that light doesn't even move in a straight line? It's a wave that comes like nothing in the entire human existence moves in a straight line except our expectation of reality, of the future, right? Okay? And then the other part about this is we, we're really bad at regression to the mean thinking. Does anybody know what regression to the mean means? Okay? Somebody smart, yell it out. Yeah, so something that is not normal, the next thing we should expect is that it should become more normal, okay? But who here has thought prices went up $10,000 last year, therefore they're gonna go up $20,000 this year, and I'm never gonna be able to buy anything, I'm gonna die broke, right? That's, that's not understanding that, well, wait a minute, 10,000 isn't normal, so what should I expect next year to look like? more normal than the crazy year, right? Jimmy said it in Jimmy language, uh, things are gonna go from really stupid to what? Just regular stupid, that's mean regression. It's gonna move back to the mean. But what does the media do? And I, I searched for it and could not find the clip, but there's a really good Saturday Night Live clip where it's a news reporter at like 7 a.m. doing the weather, and they're like, it's 68 degrees, sunny, the sun's coming up, and then that news reporter's like nine o'clock, and they're a little disheveled. They're like, it's 75 degrees, and we're keeping an eye on the situation. Like, what are you, right? And then it's noon, and they're like, okay, we don't mean to alarm anybody, but it's 85 degrees outside, right? And then by two o'clock, and then they start making this prediction of like, if this rate continues by five o'clock, it's gonna be 130 degrees, and the entire human race is gonna be wiped out. <laughs> it's super funny, right? Because we, we know that, it's not gonna, if it kept warming up past noon at the same rate, where are we gonna be at six o'clock at night? Yeah, like 150 degrees. But we, don't, we miss the fact, like in a day, we know that it's gonna come back down, right? But especially with the limited experience of this room, we've only been doing this a couple of years, our brain wants to just keep saying, well, it went up 10,000, it means it's gonna go up 10,000 more and 10,000 more and 10,000 more, and pretty soon nobody can afford any of the real estate on planet Earth, right? It's something is going to change to bring that back around. Here's what it looks like in a graph, okay? If everything moves in a wave, right, we start with where we are. And as humans, we look at where we were before and we kind of measure that, okay? But here, if we're below the average, let's say that anything below this line is not desirable for sake of expectation, if we just look at this, we'd say, oh, things are getting better and I should make the decision. Yet I'm still below where my standard would be, so that would still be a bad decision. Even though recency would say I should do it. Does that make sense? Okay, and then similar, the other side of that, if I'm here, right, and I'm measuring against where I was, right, we might say things are getting terrible, like, does this make sense? And when I say, well, it's not as good as it was, so I shouldn't make a decision, but I'm still over where, it says I should make it. Does this make sense to everybody? Okay. We can't just look back and measure against the most recent piece of data, right? Then that's how we get way off into left field, right? We've got to know a standard or an average or the, the long-term expectation and always be making a decision against that. Make sense? 
That one's probably the worst decision that you guys all make that Brad doesn't make, okay? All right, so what makes a great decision is not that it has a great outcome. Does everybody get that now? And I, we will continue to beat this into your guys' heads probably forever, but this is gonna be a theme for the next little while. A great decision is the result of a good process, and a good process requires good data. That's the only reason we wanna get good data. Yes, Jimmy. And so just, am I on? Yep. So when you talk to Christy or you talk to Rhonda, it's like, and any turnkey provider, you don't want someone who is telling you they're selling you a result because they're lying. What you want, because is it, is it possible for Pete Carroll or any human being to sell you a result? A result. They, if somebody is, they're selling you snake oil. No, it's not possible. Right. So what, what we sell is a process. And you know, we say, hey, here's our original thinking of how we came to the process. Here's what our process is now after close to 600 deals because we just learned so much. And like the first person who bought a turnkey from me, my process is a lot better than the guy who's going to buy, you know, 590. So what you can expect from your providers is to sell you a process. And then it comes down to, do I like this process? Does it make sense to me that it can get the result I desire? Does that kind of make, that's and, how the, the practical ap application to this. And the only way to get better is to improve your process because you can't actually improve your results. But isn't the, like, the end conclusion is a good outcome? Yes. Right, because that's the purpose of a good process to land you in a good outcome. No, I mean, who would create a process to get a bad result? Right, so Besides the government. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, let's pick at this. This yeah, is great. This, I know where your brain's going. <coughs> it's the, if A equals B and B equals C, doesn't A equal C? Not in real life. Not, right, but that suspending real life for a moment and looking at Our brain equation. wants every good process to result in a good outcome. That's what you're saying, yes, right? Yes, exactly right. Does every process always, every single time, result in a good outcome? No. Because of, there are two factors that are going to, lead uh, into our skill and luck skill and luck so we've got to understand was our bad outcome the decision or luck right yeah and then we want to build a process that even with bad luck even though i don't get my expected outcome i can still win like here's Do you right? see that that's yeah sorry that's the key right in the stock market we either win or lose right and we can make a really good process, but we can't always control it. And that's why our stock portfolios do this, right? But we can build a process in real estate where we can make a decision to get this, and even if we don't hit it, we can still win. I wanna win or win big. So I want a process that puts me in that position, not a process that puts me in win, lose. Gotcha, so like core four, four pillars, I may lose or not get my expected outcome in one, but I have the other three that will land me in a place and, that is more desirable than. And that's what we're gonna be talking about, refining our process is there are so many people, and I've got a case study for that I'm gonna walk through, is like they didn't get their expected outcome, therefore, because of the way they, they've been taught their entire life that investing goes, well, then I must be losing. So, well, wait a minute, let's really look at this process and see where we're still winning. 
so that we don't make this error like Pete Carroll and fire a really good coach, right? right? We don't want to fire the investment simply because we're resulting. Cool. Like not to beat a dead horse, but <clears throat> I've done your 15-minute yoga thing 200 times, right? Let's say the 202nd time I do it, I tear my rotator cuff. Does that mean your guys, now I would expect, because you guys are conscientious and always put about a great product, you're gonna be like, man, some of our students are tearing rotator cuffs. Is there anything I can do to improve my process? But the claim, Yaks Yoga results in rotator cuff tears, I don't think that's a fair, a fair thing. Like, right? you know, I, the process works, but maybe bad luck came into it. Maybe I had just lifted shoulders came into it. Does that kind of make yeah, sense? Yeah, that does make sense, yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Good? Yep. <laughs> we got the mic over here, too. Yeah, and then she'll bring it over to you and you can finish. Yes, that's a really good way to look at it, right? So I did draw that wave flat, right? But you're right. We want to enter a process that no matter what, we're always moving up, right? And understand, again, the, the, the bigger process, not our finite decision. Yeah, great way to look at it. Okay? That was a lot of run-up to then bring up a spreadsheet, but that's what we're gonna do, right? <laughs> but it really is like we build spreadsheets for what, out, for what purpose? To make a decision, right? Okay, and that's where a lot of people get confused, okay? And here's, Jimmy, you're gonna like this slide. Don't leave. This is our biggest dilemma in cash flow tactics. Giving you kids scissors to run around all excited, right? or on the other side being way too conservative and killing all joy. Like those are the two extremes that we're like trying to like keep you guys in between, right? Because I could build a spreadsheet that would show you all of your dreams coming true tomorrow and then hand you scissors. Or Jimmy always tells me like, Brad, you're just too conservative and nobody can make it, like nobody can move forward because you're making it look so bad, right? Okay, so we're trying with this group now that we've got reps and we've got some understanding I get to roll out a better pro forma that gives us more of the picture, okay? Because the very first one just gave you this much of the vision so that I wasn't giving you scissors, okay? But it's also kind of killing joy. So we're gonna, we're gonna open that up and trust you guys a little bit more now that you know why we gather data, why we have pro formas and how we make decisions to where we can see more of it. Okay, can I make one point? If they get a bad result, it is on me. I personally guarantee. And then, so as a passive or semi-passive investor, what is the only thing you can do? Yes, can you get that on a mic? Like, where's the mic at? Update it, your investing criteria. It's all you can do. You can scream at your property manager, you can kick your dog, you can say real estate's the worst. You could go on and leave a dirty comment on Facebook about yeah. it. Like that would get the job done. Or one better, you get a piece of cardboard and write in marker a really catchy thing, you'll stand outside with it. Like that's a good one too. I mean, we've had, you can drive to St. Louis and do the make <laughs> ready yourself. None of that will make you a better investor. Improving, refining your, your decision-making process is the only thing you can do. 
Okay, and at the last event, and not, well, at every event, right, we talk through how to stay in the game, right? So the coupling to the fact that we can't control every outcome is we, we position ourselves that if we don't get the outcome we expected, we're not knocked out of the game. And that's how the, you couple those two ideas together and we advance forward and we create a system that is only headed in, in an upward trajectory. Does that kind of make sense? So that's, that would be the second answer to your question would be around, okay, if we can't always control the outcome, how does decision-making help us, right? It's, it's almost like an upward ratchet, right? Our decisions get better and better, which improves our probability of outcome, and then we're always keeping a floor underneath us. Okay. All right, this is how the average person uses a pro forma. It is a crystal ball. It is, it is, it is truth forevermore, right? Who's looked at their pro forma and thought of it that way? All of you guys did when you came in. You're like, just give me a spreadsheet, type it in. Ryan did this and made me program it red, green, and yellow so that then he'll know that it'll make money, okay? But that's not how, we, if we're using it, it's not going to work out very well. Okay? We're not going to stay in the game and we're going to fall victim to resulting. Okay? So here are the three ways that we actually should be using a pro forma. And then we're going to go into the pro forma and understand these. One is we're measuring, we're figuring out what our long-term trajectory is, what normal should be. Okay? And all the pro forma is, I put it in green, that's the only words you have to write down. It helps us decide to move. It does not tell us how much money we're going to make. It does not guarantee the result of how it's going to be. It gives us enough information to what? To move. That's it. Then we throw it in the trash. We should never say, like, I know you're all going to do it anyway, <laughs> but you shouldn't even save your pro formas. You should throw it away and never, ever, 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 ever look at it again because that's how useful it is after you've decided to move, okay? Second, we then, now that we know where we are and we decided to move, now we can use mean regression to help understand what we should expect to happen next, right? Are things stupid? Are they gonna get crazy stupid or just come back to stupid, right? And we start, we use it to help understand that. And then lastly, again, I'm going to say this again, we never measure performance against the pro forma. That would be a resulting error. We measure against our next best alternative, okay? Where we would have been if we made a different decision, okay? We'll cover that too. All right. Never, like, if you just want the key to happiness, this is it. Like, really, this is it. Your happiness is the difference between your expectation and your result, Okay? So we've got to, especially in the world of investing, we've got to meet our expectations. Okay, so step one, a decision to move versus an expectation of performance. This is going to become a drum we beat all the time. Decision to move, expectation of, so who knows the OODA loop? I think we've covered this before, right? This is a decision-making process. But basically what we're doing in a pro forma is we're choosing among options when we have limited resources. This is the only reason we run a pro forma. Like, if it's rental property, should we be buying it? Yes. But I can't buy all of the available rental property. So I have some decision-making criteria of which is going to help me pick the best property for me and my limited resources. Right? But it's not, do I invest in real estate 
or not invest in real estate? Is this a good property or a bad property? It's I have lots of good options and I need to pick the one that fits what I'm trying to accomplish. That's the reason we have, that's the only reason we run a pro forma. Like when people call me like, Jimmy sent me a pro forma, should I buy it? I'm like, I don't even look at it, yes. I get, it's a good deal. Well, why are we getting a pro forma? Well, there are multiple deals that you could be choosing at the same time. And that's all that we're comparing. That makes sense? It's not good deal, bad deal, okay? And then, and then it also helps us understand where we can get knocked out of the game. And we'll, we'll, we'll cover that. And there's nowhere we are in the market. And I put this in red because nobody believes me when I say things like this. It also helps us decide what rules to break. Do we ever break rules? Only after we mastered them and understand them. But Ryan, did you break the rules I've given you? All of them. At least at one point, right? Same with Jimmy and you guys should too. But if we don't know the rule first, right? We don't know the potential consequence of breaking it and then prepare for it. I bought a really fast car. And then two days later, I bought a radar detector so that I could minimize my risk when breaking rules. You guys get it? That's what this is gonna help us do, okay? And then I bought the plates that are the Utah Highway Patrol fund, that's a secret too. So I donate to the Utah Highway Patrol and I put it on my license plate. It's further decreasing my risk in case my first option doesn't work, okay? All right, so then, then it's gonna help you know how to win, know how you're gonna adapt. Once we've checked these boxes, then I can decide and act, okay? So the pro forma is helping us with these first six, okay? Is this helping anybody? I hope so. Okay, so again, that's what the pro forma is. This is just saying it another way, right? We're gonna, this helps us to systematize our decision-making criteria. Can you change the formulas and cells on this spreadsheet? Yes, it's just a starting point. This is just, as, as, for all the deals we've seen and all the research we've done, this is my best guess as to what normal market conditions look like. That's all that this is. It's, it's, again, it's not telling you what you should or shouldn't do. This is my best approximation of that normal line. And then we're, sometimes we're going to be above it and sometimes we're going to be way below it. But that's the value that this adds to you. Because somebody brand new without thousands of transactions and 10 years of data and then everything I've studied and read have no idea where they are. This just orients us. That's really it, right? Helps me choose when I have limited Data shows what rules I'm going to break because we're going to at some point, okay? And helps me avoid mistakes that are gonna knock me out of the game, okay? A property that won't, that, that would put me in a position that I couldn't recover from if it didn't go well, okay? But it does not tell me how much money I'm gonna make. That is, this is not how much money you're gonna make. Does anybody feel lied to? That's not how much money you're gonna make, okay? And it's not used as a yardstick, it doesn't pick winners and losers, and it will always lie to you. The only thing I know about my pro forma is it's always wrong. It's the only thing I know about it, okay? <laughs> this is my pro forma, okay? It just lies to you all the time. That's all it actually does, okay? 
All right, now here's how to adapt. Because should we still be buying real estate even in 2022? Yes, but are we at a normal market condition? No, so what does that mean? It means we just have to adapt, right? Because can we still make money in 2022? Wait, Brad, I need to be a little bit of a contrarian here. Yes. <laughs> I'm gonna argue 6% interest rates are normal. Ah. I've sold close to 600 of these. That's awesome. 350 I sold at 6% interest rates. Last year, when things got stupid, I sold rates that weren't yeah. at six. And then I was going in my head to where like rent to values, right? Those don't feel as normal, right? We've had other areas on the other side. So the, the better question is, yeah, what part of the market are you looking at? Are you looking at interest rates? Are you looking at rents? Are you looking at prices, right? All of that, right? Absolutely, great point, okay? So here's how I adapt. A, I never stop moving forward. I have never stopped moving forward, okay? I update my expectations of winning to match the prevailing market conditions. My definition of winning in 20, you know, 2006 when I first started buying were very different than 2012, which are very different than now. But I'm winning all the time, right? Winners win. That's what we all do. But my expectation of what it is changes. And then I adapt what's in my control based on the rules I've decided to break. Make sense? Is this helping? Okay. But Brad, you preach cash flow. Now I feel like Braveheart when he got when he got betrayed by Robert the Bruce, right? You guys remember that scene in Braveheart? Like that scene broke my heart more than any other part of that movie. It's the worst part of the movie. Does anybody feel like I'm doing that to you right now? After having heard me forever, you're like, yeah. But it's called cash flow tactics, Brad. And the cash flow is not good, right? Okay. So here's the real purpose of cash flow, okay? Too many people say cash flow tomorrow or cash flow in year one or cash flow in year three. When did we say you were gonna be financially free? Okay, will there be cash flow in 10 years? I'm fairly confident of that, okay? But the use of cash flow today is different than the outcome we're shooting for 10 years from now. So it's still cash flow tactics across the board, but we use the tool differently, okay? So cash flow in a decision to move, because that's what today is about. That's what this presentation is about. It's not, we're gonna talk about what cash flow in 10 years looks like, but cash flow today is a permission slip to access all four pillars, particularly leverage. So there you go. I hope you enjoyed that uh, talk from Brad. Uh, like I said, he, he did the, about the first three hours of last year's cash flow heaven tour. If you found uh, that kind of presentation valuable, if you enjoyed it, there is more where that is to come from. And that is from this year's cash flow heaven tour. And the dates on that is the 12th and 13th of May. So if you're interested in what we're doing there, uh, please sign up. There'll be a link uh, to sign up to Cashville Heaven in the show notes. And we hope to see you there. Talk to you later.
Thank you so much for listening to the Rise Up Live Free podcast. Do you want to connect with me and other empire builders who are on a mission to take control of their financial plans and become financially free in 10 years or less? Well, then join us in our private Facebook group where we get to go deeper into the topics of financial freedom. And it's the only place you can see the actual results of people on their path to financial freedom, learn what's working, and interact as a community dedicated to becoming financially free. When you join, you'll get immediate access to exclusive training in a private membership area. This training will empower you in your path to becoming financially free, and it will fast track your results. This is the only place you get access to this exclusive content. So be sure to join us in the Facebook group now. Just go to cashflowtactics.com forward slash group or head over to Facebook and search Cashflow Tactics to join. I look forward to you joining us next time on the Rise Up Live Free podcast.